This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Joyful Courage Parenting Podcast, Episode 30. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to the show. I am so grateful that you have tuned in to listen to today's episode. I have Sarah McLaughlin on the show today, and Sarah is a social worker, a compassion coach, a play promoter, and a warrior for kindness. She's going to tell us more about those things later on. She is the author of the book, What Not to Say, Tools for Talking to Young Children, And her work is based on 20 years of experience working with kids and families, and she supports moms and dads through one-on-one work in groups and through online programming. Sarah has a seven-year-old son who gives her plenty of opportunities to take her own advice, so she is walking her talk on a daily basis, and she's going to be on the show talking about limit setting. I feel like there's been a lot of chatter Um, on social media and in my life around how to set limits in a way that continues to foster connection and relationship. And you probably listened in on my conversation with Serena. What episode was that? She was on a few weeks ago and she talked about parenting styles and we talked about how we can often be engaged in that dance, right? That dance between being super rigid, dictator, and then flipping over to permissive and how it's it's a tricky little thing, isn't it? Um, it's tricky and hard to find that body of firmness and kindness at the same time. It's a practice. It's doable. It's available. It's possible. But it's definitely a practice. And when we throw in, you know, stress, emotion, what the model is that lives inside of us that we were raised with, you know, it gets messy. So Sarah's going to talk to us more about limit setting. We're going to talk about brain development. And she's really fun. So I think you're going to love the conversation. Let me know what you think when in the comment 
area or giving me feedback via iTunes or an email, Casey at joyfulcourage.com. I'm super excited that you're here. Let's meet Sarah. Hey there, Sarah. Welcome to the Joyful Courage podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. Glad that you're here. Will you please tell the listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Absolutely. Um, I consider myself a compassion coach and a play promoter and also a warrior for kindness. I help parents to understand how their children's brains work better so that they can have uh, more connected relationships and get more connected behavior. Oh my gosh. Will you say those titles again? A compassion coach. <laughs> I love compassion those. Co- play promoter and warrior for kindness. Oh my gosh. Awesome. I'm so excited to dig into our topic um, because I've read a lot of what you've put out there and I love that you couple the brain science in with the practical tools and um, limit setting. And that's really what we're going to focus on today is the limit setting piece and how to show up connected while also firm with our kids. Um, I'm going to make sure that there's good links in the show notes to some of your articles. What has inspired you to explore this topic? Um. Well, so what inspired me was that I I looked around and I was trained as a teacher and I saw the different ways in which, you know, some teachers that I admired, you know, had worked really effectively with children and some who had more kind of older school approaches didn't. And so I just started really researching and and digging in and wanting to find ways to support not only myself if I ever became a parent, but also um, other parents out there because I could see how tough of a job it was. And then I had three quarters of my own book written before I had my own child. So I had pretty much, you know, told the whole entire world how I felt um, children should be treated and how they should be spoken to and respected, which I firmly believe, and then got dumped into the reality of, you know, being a parent and getting triggered and having it be really way harder than I thought it was. So then I had to, I had to seek out even more information and ask for help. Yeah. It's, I have that same, well, similar story as a former school teacher figuring like, eh, I got this. Yeah, I got this. I'm highly educated. So this will probably be really easy. So when you, so what were, so you have your child, the emotional triggers, the fact that they're not actually robots and they have their own human experience that's playing out before you. Sure. What were some of the biggest things that kind of um, were blown out of the water for you as far as your beliefs before and after? You know, what's interesting is my beliefs didn't really change, but but how I wanted to come at the execution of um, having a close relationship and the amount of internal work that needed to happen from my side of the street and, you know, noticing that if I had a hard time um, being kind or holding, keeping my temper, um, that that was my job. And it wasn't, you know, I would fall into the a typical parent trap of, you know, feeling victimized by my child, feeling like I couldn't, um, I didn't, I honestly didn't realize how much more difficult it was going to be to set limits with my own child versus another person's child, mm-hmm. how much more, because it's, you're in it for the long game and you're so invested in this little human, um, how much that would shade and color my viewpoint and my ability to stay calm and regulated. It just, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So w- let's talk a little bit about setting limits. 
When would you say the best time to set limits is? Well, uh, it really depends because um, I think that it is important certainly to set expectations for you know, your home, everybody's expectations in their home are different. I think it's important for parents to understand developmental norms and milestones so that they can set appropriate limits and set their children up for success in the environment that is the home. I know that if you're a former teacher, you know that we do that in the classroom all the time. We set up the classroom so there's as many yeses as possible. You don't have to step in, you know, let the environment be your limit setter as much as possible. Um, and parents don't have that training. They don't, they don't, you know, I, every, they keep going straight for that thing that's on that table over there. Well, I, that thing shouldn't be on that table over there. Um, but the other thing that I think is important to remember is that the limit also depends on where we're sitting as a parent. You know, sometimes I use the silly example of jumping on the bed in that, you know, maybe on Thursday when I have had a good night's sleep and my three-year-old is like, I want to jump on the guest bed. I might, and I have, I have, I'm well rested. I feel great. And I can give that my attention. Then sure. You can jump on the bed. That's fine. Um, but if on Saturday I am not well rested and I have a headache and I don't have it in me to monitor that. So it's safe. Then I might say no. And so I think the limit really is within us mm -hmm. and we need to be able to be firm and flexible in our limits and that children are going to have the feelings that they have about those limits and that consistency. I sort of have this love hate relationship with consistency because consistency is important. It helps children know where, where they need to push or where they might push. And we always want to set things up so that they're pushing less obviously, but sometimes something's okay one day and it's not the other. And that it's important for us to get steady before we hold limits so that we can hold space and make space for upset because that is inevitable. Upset yeah. around limits is totally inevitable. Yeah. And I, you know, when I think about consistency too, I, I embrace the importance of it and it really easy can, it's, it's really easy for it to turn into something that's really becomes really rigid inside sure. my body, right? Like, yeah. I've already said this and now they're pushing and now yes. I've got to, you know, how do yes. you, how does the compassion coach <clears throat> yeah. uh, talk to parents about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, um, I think that it is important for them to understand your authority more than your rigidity. Like I, I wrote once about a, an example where my son, he was probably a toddler preschooler. He wanted to play in the pantry, mm -hmm. you know, and I was just like, nope, nope, we're not going to play in the pantry. And he kind of persisted. And I certainly could have just said, nope, nope, we're not going to play in the pantry and held the limit. But I, I checked in with myself to, to, to see if I knew where that no was coming from so that I could assess it so that I could decide whether or not it needed to be a no. Like, so I went to the worst case scenario, like, okay, he's three. He wants to move the cans around. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, he might like drop a can on his toe. Like I kind of like went through the ramifications of moving my boundary and moving my limit and allowing for something that my initial response was a no. And so I said, Oh, well, I changed my mind. I, it looks like you're really interested. And, and so part of it is I think making your flexibility, your idea and owning your authority in it. And that's what I recommend to parents is if you are going to be flexible in your limits, that you own the idea of the change mm -hmm. and say, so I said to him, I changed my mind. I think we'll give it a try. We'll see how it goes. 
And he played in that pantry for, you know, like 40 minutes, you know, like pretending to doing a little pretend. I don't even know what he was doing in there, but I was in awe of his ability to just like, he never dropped a can on his toe. He, my three-year-old self-entertained for 40 minutes because I was like, you know what, let's see how it goes. And even sometimes when their emotional upset is so great that we feel worn down by it and we're like, oh, I wish I wish I wouldn't have said no, because at this point I'm too tired to keep holding the no, mm-hmm. that it is a slippery slope and it is a gray area. But sometimes it's better to say, you know what? I changed my mind. You can have that popsicle. Let's rest on the couch together and have popsicles. Mm-hmm. I said no at first, but I changed my mind. And it's all in the tone of your steadiness as a leader. Because if I change my mind about a popsicle when there's been a 20 minute throwdown about it and and I hold firm, even though I'm totally worn out holding the limit, then I might lose my cool and blow my stack and yell or, you know, get really explosive when I don't want to. I lose my cool. I lose my ability to regulate myself instead of just um, couching my changed mind from a place of authority mm-hmm which is very different than, oh, fine, you've worn me down, have the popsicle. Like I would never recommend that you change your mind in that tone of voice or with that body language because that sends a really different message about flexible limits. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting because, you know, parents get really um, hooked by the meltdown or the response, right? I was working with a group last night and one of the moms was talking about, her daughter having such a hard time when she couldn't get something at Costco that she actually took the toy and ran away and found a place to hide and was really quiet. And the mom really wanted to talk about that. Like, how can I prevent this runaway and this? And I, and I helped her, you know, what, what showed up in the conversation was what are the missing skills? The missing skills are that your daughter's having a really hard time navigating the flood of emotion around the no. So how about we're proactive and there's a conversation beforehand and we talk about the fact that disappointment's going to show up and what can we do differently? And, you know, from that place of authority, like you're talking about, I love that place of authority. We are leaders in our family, right? We're not dictators, but we are leaders. Correct. So we are. We are. They're looking to us for our leadership at every moment. Yeah. And I, you know, and with limit setting, you know, and what showed up in this conversation with this mom was, you know, and she said, oh, do I have this conversation at Costco? And I said, no, no, no. This is a conversation. Yeah. That you have before you go to Costco. And so I find that the more proactive parents are, you know, the better the outcome in the end. So what's your thoughts on that? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, pre-teaching, as we used to call it in the classroom, or even with parent, you know, just giving them those heads up, or I have a friend who calls them pre-minders, um, which is totally cute. You know, those kinds of things definitely can pave the way for more smooth outings and interactions, and um, and it's not it's not always going to solve the problem, right? Because and also, you know, choosing when you take a child to do Costco trips, you know, and whether or not you can assess what their emotional barometer is looking like and if their tank is full or empty um, so that we are, again, trying to set them up for success. (laughs) 
warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. And, but the piece that you said that I also think is really important is to help them not that sometimes the disappointment and and particularly with young developing brains, because they don't have a prefrontal cortex yet, that's allows them to have any sort of bird's eye perspective. Um, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, flip their lid and they're not going to be able to hold those. Sometimes they're not going to be able to hold those pre-teaching moments in their mind. They're still going to flip out and melt down Mm -hmm. and that, that, and framing, I like to frame that for parents as valuable as well, that sometimes, um, you know, I have a friend who calls it emotional potty training. Like, you know, sometimes there's just this holding of emotion and and disappointments and hurts, you know, they stack up and they back up on three-year-olds and 30-year-olds. And sometimes, she's got to blow, you yeah. know? And then if we can, and if we can frame out an, a meltdown as a beneficial loosening of pressure, offloading of stress, 
Um, you know, there's that fascinating research about how tears have cortisol and adrenaline in them because they actually are detoxifying our body. Um, my friend and fellow parent educator and author, Pam Leo says crying is the healing, not the hurting. Mm. Like we have this, we have this belief that when children are crying, that they're in pain and we want the pain to stop. And if you, uh, if you consider instead that the crying is the processing of a pain and a hurt that already happened, then we would never want to shut that down. We would always want to help children move through the feeling. I say the only way out is through. Yeah. You can't like think your way through it or, you know, some emotions defy verbalization, you know, helping children gain the confidence in themselves that they can survive really difficult feelings that feel crummy, like disappointment, like grief, like jealousy. All of those are very human, normal feelings that most of us didn't get any coaching through. Mm -hmm. And so when we see them, we're like, ah, it's bad. It feels icky. Shut it down. And I come at that emotional intelligence piece from a totally different perspective that this is, this is great. This is learning ground. My three-year-old is grieving the fact that I don't have a blue bowl in the cupboard. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to help him through that feeling. We don't have a blue bowl today. We only have green. Um, that's really hard, you know, and like the bawling, the bawling that will come right with the wrong cookie or the, yeah. the wrong bowl or whatever. And that that's setting them up to know how to process bigger griefs. Cause I think if we skirt them around those smaller bite-sized child-like disappointments, then when they have bigger ones, they don't know how to handle them. Yeah. Jane Nelson, the positive discipline founder, she talks about that as building their resiliency muscles. Yes. Allowing them to go through getting to the other side of a big emotion that, you know, when we, you know, entertain them out of it or. Yes. Distract. Distract. You know, it's just keeping them from building those muscles. It is. It atrophies them. Yeah, so quit doing that, people. I know, I know, I know. It's so hard, and I I'll think stop today. I'll yeah. stop today. Well, and it's the discomfort that we feel, right? It's the discomfort that we feel in seeing our kids. So I really appreciate what you said, like having a little celebration inside, like all right, processing emotions, remembering that, watching them as hard as it is to see our little people in distress. There's some really important learning and growth and development going on there. So let's talk more about the brain. Um, I know that once parents become more informed about how their child's brain works, they begin to handle those highly emotional situations differently, typically. So what would you say is an important place to start? If I'm somebody listening who really doesn't have a lot of information about the developing brain, where would you start? Yep. Um, I would advise people to Google, you know, Dan Siegel video on the triune brain, which he teaches, which I teach in all my classes, the handy little hand model of the brain Mm -hmm. that just shows how we have our thinking human brain, we have our emotional mammal brain, and then we have our, exactly, we have our, um, you know, fight or flight, fear, survival based lizard brain. And helping children understand that when helping children, helping grownups understand that when children are behaving emotionally or worse, you know, aggressively that, you know, emotional emotion and that emotional is a step up from aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes we get more triggered by things that children do or say in their emotional brain because they can often verbalize better when they're in their emotional brain and older children will, will 
intentionally try to hurt our feelings when they're in their emotional brain. But if we keep in mind that that's actually a step up from a child who has lost all control, which is that fear, fight or flight, you know, aggression is the fight in fight or flight Mm -hmm. and helping reframe children who have really lost control of themselves as children who need our support and need our help. And not that they need a moralistic, punishing, punitive response. Um, You know, there's that meme that goes around, goes around and around that your child is not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Mm having the solid knowledge of like what what kind what brain is my child and getting better about assessing what brain state your child is in so you can tailor your response to that brain state and then also i try to really help coach parents around first assessing where they are like to assess yourself first what brain am i in is this behavior driving me totally batty so that i'm already triggered when i walk into trying to problem solve oh, yes, I am. Let me take a few deep breaths to try to get steady before I move in as the leader in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So helping parents to understand how it works and then apply it to their own physiological responses, their child's behaviors. Um, And it also helps parents see how much they really have to prioritize taking care of themselves because any one of those hungry, angry, lonely, tired gets too triggered And we, our ability to regulate, which I I define self-regulation as being able to stay in charge of yourself when you're upset. Mm -hmm. It's being able to hang on to your green prefrontal cortex in the face of, you know, a cortisol, adrenaline, emotional rush that's trying to physiologically take over your body. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. It is. I'm on a progress, not perfection road with that one. Yeah. And my son and I call it the emotional freight train. Like the first step in getting off the emotional freight train is to realize that you're actually on the emotional Uh freight train, right? Perfect. And something that I do with parents when I'm working with them is to invite them into noticing how their body feels when they're triggered because we spend so much time in our heads that when we start to recognize like, oh, wow, I start to get tense and I start to feel heat and I start to feel sensations like before I've actually flipped my lid, then there's some information like, oh, maybe I should walk right away right now. And talking too about that with my, with our kids, like, what does it feel like when you, you know, what does your, what do your legs feel like? What do you, you know, so, because I think as a culture, we just spend entirely too much time in our head. Yes, indeed. Almost exclusively some of us. Yeah. And it's, there's (laughs) so much wisdom in our body. And when we can like, and I encourage people to actually practice noticing what a calm centered body feels like. And the more we can actually be in awareness of that, then it becomes more available when we need it, which is regularly. (laughs) We have children. (laughs) (laughs) On a moment by moment basis. Yes. Things that used to be so easy are suddenly so difficult. Yeah. I, I invite people also to just kind of engage in that witness bearing part of their brain that can simply notice what's happening because that's a part of your brain that you can, that's a muscle you can build. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the tricky things for parents to fully grasp is that there's no blame in any of this. And this information about the brain just simply did not exist when most of us were growing up and being parented. And there's a lot of forgiveness in our families of origin and self-forgiveness that can pave the way for, oh yeah, I'm, I'm now of the generation that has this information 
and I get the blessing and curse of being able to know this and decide to reparent my own brain so that it has a better regulatory system. And then I get to bring up the next generation of children who aren't going to have to go back and reparent themselves because they're going to have a brain that is parented towards the kind of resilience and um, you know, emotional freight train awareness mm-hmm. that you're speaking of. Yeah. Like it's, that's a, it, you could consider it an honor, even though you also could be angry about it. Like it also is a huge honor. Oh, this is amazing information that now I get to use. I get to use it on myself and I get to help raise a generation of children who aren't going to have a lid that flips quite so easily, or they're going to have better tools for getting back into their green brain quicker. Like there's going to be small progress here over over the generations to come because of this information. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think that it's, you know, I think it's easy to hang on to that victim, poor me, this is what I was dealt early on. And you know what? It's all part of our path. I mean, I know I would not be sitting right here right now talking to you and be passionate about what I'm passionate about had I not had exactly the upbringing that I had. And I have great relationships with my parents. They're really proud of me. So there yeah, you go. sure. <laughs> so in positive discipline, well, let me see. So setting limits with the brain and mind. So what I, I'm pulling out of what you're talking about in my own knowledge around Dan Siegel's work, which I always tell people, if you're only going to read one book, read The Whole Brain Child because it's mm-hmm. just insanely helpful um, and written for the normal person. Uh so I'm hearing you say things like, you know, when when our child is in the emotional brain or in the fight or flight brain, that is not nece- they're not available to have conversations about either the limits that they've pushed or why they can't push that limit. So in those moments, like the in the moment limit setting, connecting, like being there for the child, what are the steps that you encourage parents to take in those moments? Yeah. Um it's all about timing and about assessing what brain state they're in. So the other way you framed out that question is really helpful. Um, in my day job, I'm a social worker. And one of the things that I teach is crisis de-escalation skills to other, to social workers in the field. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, you know, the training that I teach has been around for 40 plus years. And it teaches basically these same ideas that, you know, when somebody is flipping their lid and I'm usually teaching people who are working with grownups because grownups flip their lids and it looks just like a two-year-old they're in there. You know, if the yellow brain, the yellow emotional brain is the toddler brain. And then the red brain is the infant brain. Like people regress to those brains on a regular basis. Um, And I, you know, the, the teaching from this training is when people are really flipping their lids is that the staff response or the social worker response is the least amount of interaction necessary to maintain safety. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no teaching that should be happening when your child is freaking out at all. None. Right. This is not, this is not, not the teachable moment. Well, and they're so, not being naughty. No, no, like that's, no. I, you know, I that's, don't even use the word naughty. It's I don't ridiculous. either, be, but, no. but, but it's amazing to me how it comes up sometimes in parent yeah. class, like, well, yeah. like as if tantrums are some big manipulation, manipulation tool that the kids have all gone out to the neighborhood park and said, okay, this is how you get what you want. <laughs> when in reality, it's just lacking skills and flooded with emotion. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sometimes because, as a result of parents intervening in ways that aren't really developmentally appropriate during those times, we do set children up to 
to get into manipulative habits to get their needs met because they get they get scared, they get nervous. Wow, when I'm most losing it, my parent comes in way more heavy-handed than normal. What is that about? And so there become these sort of places of disconnection between parent and child when there's been habitual patterns of that type. And so then I think sometimes you do see, you know, what what's what you might call a shakedown as opposed to a meltdown. Right. Yeah, and I like that. and you know, that's um that's a whole different story. Yeah. But like when people really are losing their minds, uh, whether they're three or 30, it's not helpful. There's no learning. And so limit setting is just keep, keep everyone safe. Like if you have a three-year-old that's trying to hit you, like gently cradle them in your lap and face them away. So when they're swinging, they're not getting you. And there's no moralization of that behavior at that point. This is a child who has lost control of themselves mm. and you need to help them dump the emotion and regain their composure. And it's their job to calm themselves down. We can't, I mean, when I'm upset, if somebody tells me to calm down, it is not helpful. No. And it's not helpful for little people either. And so waiting, and so part of that is called the crisis cycle. Part of waiting for, part of the timing is that you don't, as soon as they've composed themselves, jump in with the teaching either. No, we actually need to wait. We need to wait and have that teaching that little tiny developmentally appropriate nugget that we offer our child be developmentally appropriate to their age. So like the younger they are, the shorter, uh, the shorter it should be and timed, you know, well enough that it's not so far away from the event of explosion that they've forgotten what happened and not so close that it will re-trigger their, you know, upset. So, you know, if my two-year-old loses his mind and, you know, comes at me swinging and then I just calmly cradle him, keep myself safe, um, convey to him that he's safe. Um, I think there's the another piece from this training, which I found so useful in parenting, is, um, you know, to ignore the behavior but not the child. Because there's a lot of rhetoric around like, well, if you just ignore that bad behavior, it will stop. But what parents erroneously do, and even some practitioners erroneously do, is they ignore the child as part of the behavior. Mm. And that's never actually the goal, to turn away and be like, I'm ignoring you until you stop doing that. What you would do is actually ignore the fact that they're kicking you, ignore the fact that they're hitting you, ignore the fact that they're calling you names, and connect with them and hold the limit. Mm -hmm. I'm right here with you. You're safe. They're hitting you and calling you stupid. You're not. You're going to ignore that behavior as in not address it, not say anything, and continue to say, I'm right here with you. You're safe. I'm keeping you safe. I'm keeping me safe. And then when they've calmed down, you can say something like, you were really upset. You weren't in charge of your body. I helped keep us safe. I know that you will continue to work on being in charge of your body when you're upset. And that's it. Boom. Yeah. Little tiny nugget, a word of encouragement, a word of the expectation, and then you move on it. And a thousand times in context, it gets wired in the brain. Love it. I love that you just said a thousand times in context, right? Yeah, that's what they say. It's it funny. We're so good when it comes to like learning how to read or riding a bike or walking. It's like, oh, yay, we're going to celebrate every mistake. And oh, you're moving huh? forward and you're catching on. But when it comes to behavior, hey, I told you once. I already told yeah. you not to do that. And all of a sudden it's like. You should what? never bite ever again. Yeah. Quit, quit, yes, quit climbing that bookcase. I've told you, I slapped your hand and you still want to climb yep. the bookcase. Hey, everybody, listen, I'm so excited to give you an update on Songfinch. Songfinch delivers. 
I shared last month that I was going to have them create an original song for Ian, my graduating senior. Well, the song is done and the process of co-creating it with the artist on Songfinch was so cool. I got to provide details and ideas and then the musician of my choice wrote up the lyrics, put it to the music that I picked and the results are so cool. I can't wait to surprise Ian with it. I will be sure to record it and share it with all of you. Songfinch is an innovative service that lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and it lasts forever. After moving through their process, you get the final results in four to seven days. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free. So you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care. Start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Go to songfinch.com slash joyful and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, which is a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash joyful. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash joyful. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yep. Well, and well, I and yeah. and like talking about kids that are saying really choice things like you're stupid, I hate you, you're the meanest mom ever. Um mm-hmm. one of the things that jumped out at me that I was glad to see in one of your articles that I read was the idea of not taking it personally. Yeah. It's not about you. It's not about you. Nope. And tell me a little bit about what happens when we take when it personally. Oh boy. Well, when we take it personally, um, we become, we go into our a lower brain state. We, we get emotional, we get mad, we get vindictive, right. we, we get moralistic. Um, and we, it seems like a good idea to punish, you know, all of these sorts of things crop up and none of them are helpful. None of them. And they all erode the relationship, which is really the biggest, fattest, most effective tool you have in your toolbox for affecting behavior change or behavior guidance is how connected does your child feel to you? And we have 70 years of attachment theory and work to back us up on that. Um, but in the moment, if you take it personally, you just are mad and don't care. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? and I'm raising a 13 year old now. So I get to really, to the teen years. yeah, whoa, 
Uh, Another only, dysregulated brain state. It's only been like 10 days, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. all it takes, right? Yeah, totally. But I think that, um, you know, they say that two-year-olds, the two-year-old brain is revisited in the teen years and definitely that, you know, and I have one child, I have two kids. And one of them is definitely the one that I tend to take things more personally with. I don't know if it's, you know, the oldest the oldest daughter being raised by a controlling mom who was the oldest daughter being, you know, I have some patterns in my own family. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that my own – I know that my own stuff comes up around that. But it is challenging how quickly I want to take yeah. it personally. And I notice – I've trained myself at least to notice. So mm, sometimes – Sometimes I act before I notice and then I get to come back yep. and rupture and repair. Yep, yep, yep. And make it right with her. And wow, you know, I took that personally and I realized it wasn't about me and, you know, and I love you. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Um, yep. But I think that that's really important for parents to hear. Yeah. And it's impossible to execute a hundred percent of the time. It's just, we're, we're all human. We all have this easily dysregulated brain for survival sake. Like that's the other piece that I keep in my pocket is when I lose my below my top or whatever, um, that's my brain protecting me. And when my kids, my, my kid blows his top or other kids blow their tops, that's just their brain protecting them. And if I can keep the lens or the frame on what's happening as normal part of resilience building, normal part of, you know, flexing that muscle that helps him be more regulated in his life. Um, that's great. And if I can't, and I get triggered and I take it personally, then, you know, you, there is that wonderful, as you mentioned, opportunity to say, I blew it. I took it personally. I lost my temper. Um, and I'm sorry, modeling the apology, mm-hmm. modeling that another parent educator whose name I can't remember, but she talks about modeling graciousness. You know, when your kid refuses to pick up their playroom, you could get mad and say, well, it's just going to be messy then. Or you could just model the graciousness of saying, all right, well, I'm just going to do it for you. And eventually I know you will, you know, the graciousness along with the encouragement. I know that eventually you will, you will get there. You will offering that positive regard that, um, showing them that you believe in their ability to step up and grow. Mm-hmm. So something's knocking on my door right now in my mind, and it's that kindness and firmness piece, which I think that graciousness, it's slippery, uh-huh. right? Because it's, and, and I we know. we don't have a model for it. We don't have a model for it. We do right? not have a model for it. And we so in we our only quest, know firm and angry. Yeah. And in our quest not to be angry all the time, not to be yelling parents, I think that there's, because we don't know what to do, we don't do anything and it becomes really permissive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so that's actually yeah, speak into that problem too. For <laughs> sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been, I think that there was a, uh, you know, it's really interesting to look at it all historically and to take a bird's eye view of it, of, you know, there was just this authoritarian, you know, thing that then, you know, a while ago, maybe a generation ago, there was, and and bleeding into this generation still, there was a pendulum swing to, you know, being overly permissive. And because they, because it felt yucky to be raised under that more authoritarian, um, view. I've written a lot about these three different parenting styles mm-hmm. and it's so confusing. The language is so confusing because we have authoritarian, but then we have authoritative, which sounds just the same, but really it's totally different. Well, the um, good news is I just 
uh, released an episode. Well, it will be released awesome. before I, the, ours is. That is with a parent educator, and we're talking all about those three parenting styles. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, I won't go off on a tangent about that. <laughs> but some. But I have a. Um, I, a colleague of mine introduced me to the idea of using a uh, a marshmallow, a rock, and a tennis ball to kind of like give parents a, a tangible thing to hold in their hands around, you know, what's what's too hard, what's too soft, and then what's that kind of firm and friendly in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now, you know, the, how you can riff off that is is very fun, um, and that there's the tennis ball really embodies the. The, the flexibility and squishiness and comfort of a more marshmallow approach and the firmness and structure without being too rigid and with right. having some bounce, which represents that resilience. And it's, it's a game, it's fun, you know, like yeah. there's no reason that's, that, um, you know, sometimes you can set limits and use humor. Sometimes you can set limits and, you know, be silly about it depending on the age and, de- you know, depending on how you, how much, you know, everybody knows their child best. That's the other thing too, is I don't write prescriptions for parents. Um, I help them understand the development of how things generally go in a growing mind and, and help them figure out how they're going to connect with their special little people and know how to guide them best. Yeah. Well, and I too, thinking about the limit setting, you know, and some of the examples that you gave, you know, if you are finding yourself responding with that graciousness and and encouragement and you know I'm gonna I'll do it for you and I know that you're gonna learn these skills and you know maybe a little while later in the day you come up with a plan for getting toys picked up and I know with my son um we had this poster and it was his mission's and I and he had pictures of all the different kinds of toys that could possibly be on the floor. So like cars, books, Legos, right? And so I'd say, okay, your mission. And it broke down the task. Mm-hmm. So fun yeah, too. right, right. Yeah. So we can't expect just because we say out loud, like I know one day you'll be able to do this, that they're gonna. Yeah, sure. But it's also that that skill building piece, and that is part of, I think, setting. That's part of the puzzle of setting limits too. Is taking sure. time to train them so that when we ask them to do something, they actually have some skills to lean into. Whether or not they want to is another story. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm just now figuring out how that whole like place for everything and in its oh, place man. thing. I'm I don't like, know if you can I'm see so my background. Yeah. I'm probably not the right person to uh, to offer my child skill building around that. Do you want me to but make yes. a poster for you with some issues? Yes, I totally need a poster. <laughs> yes, it's so true. Well, and also just trusting that like, you know, I that what I value is really different from lo- what lots mm-hmm. of other people value and that I can have ideas about what I want my child to grow up and value, but that I don't really have control over that and trying to kind of like check my ego and keep it out of it that, you know, I can have a laundry list. And actually, I actually ask parents to create a laundry list of um, not necessarily values, but qualities that they want their grown-up children to have, because we can get sort of bogged down in the developmental pieces um, of childhood without losing sight of the big picture. And, you know, when I ask parents to brainstorm 10 to 20 qualities they want their adult children to have, I never get 
obedient or follows direction on the first request or any of those kinds of things. You know, I get creative, confident, you know, contented, generous, grateful, you know, all of these wonderful qualities that when we get into worrying, you know, that projecting to the future and worrying about how our children are going to be in the world, that we feel desperate to teach them all of these skills that they might need. And the other reality check that I offer parents is we have no idea what the world is going to look like in 20 years. Like the, 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 you know, the landscape of our social constructs or our job market or any of these things are ever shifting at crazy astronomically quick rates and that we can think we know what we want to prepare and we should prepare our children for, but we really can't possibly know that. Yeah. Um, as far as those bigger picture things. And so that's where I think that the piece that makes you know, children and grownups are always going to need to know how to get along with other people, how to problem solve. And so, and I'm a big proponent for, you know, homes and teachers um, and schools teaching children those very, very foundational pieces um, first. Yep. I think they're really important. I am with you on that. So what's a baby step? that we could leave the listeners with here if um, that encourages them um, baby steps they could take as they work towards setting limits without punishment or shame. Yeah. I would watch for the either or thinking that you have, like make it a practice to just hang out in your own brain with a detective hat on an observer hat on and see what you find. Because a lot of times we don't even know it's the water that we're swimming in and we don't even really know what we think mm-hmm. <laughs> about, about our children and their behavior. And because a lot of it's really automatic. And um, so I would say, pay attention to the places where, you know, you see that you can't, it, it feels impossible to be connected while you're saying no. Um, where it feels like you have to, sometimes I use the, I have parents pay attention to whether or not they're turning away from their child or turning toward their child, because like a lot physically, of us, we, physically, physically, in our body. literally, okay. physically in your body, because if you are saying no, a lot of us have a tendency to withdraw mm-hmm. when we say no, like when we set a limit, I'm just using the term say no, but sure. really when you set any limit where you're imposing your will, which is what we have to do as leaders, um, you know, that's just part of it. Um, for, for, for nothing, if nothing else than safety, like even the most permissive parents have to set limits about safety. Right. Um, but we, I noticed that myself and many, many other parents that I work with have a tendency to, with that no, or with that limit to turn away, to distance ourselves from our child, because that's kind of how we were raised and to, to work. If you just took the baby step to work, to effortfully flip that, like to turn towards your child and make eye contact Mm -hmm. when you say no, Mm -hmm. when you set a limit and say, I can't let you do that. Um, and to have that softened, compassionate voice, um, that alone would be something to, I'm still working on it months and years later, you know, it's, I still want to be like, just do it, you know, or just stop doing it, you know, whatever it is and, and be more reactionary. And I, and to distance myself instead of connecting. Yeah. It's a practice. Progress, not perfection. That's right. So where can listeners find you and your work? Um, my website is sarahmclaughlin.com and my Sarah has an H and my McLaughlin is M-A-C. That's where I mostly hang out. Um, I have I have articles here and there on Huffington Post and a couple other places. My first print article actually is coming out in Pathways to Family Wellness magazine. Awesome. I believe in their spring episode or their spring issue. Are you on social media? 
I am. Yes. All those links are on my website. Okay, I'm perfect. on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Pinterest. I have a whole collection of parenting resources on Pinterest. Okay. Well, that's I'll all, make sure. The only thing I have on Pinterest. Oh my gosh. Pinterest kills me, but that's a whole nother show. <laughs> no recipes or anything, just parenting articles. Ugh. That's it. Um, I will make sure listeners that all the links that Sarah is mentioning are in the show notes. So I have one last question. Does, when you hear joyful courage, what does it mean to you? I love that question. I love the name of your organization. It is so wonderful. Um, to me, it means, um, I think my association with courage is that it is in the face of hardship. And so I love the fact that it is a total turn on that go-to view of courage that that you would could be joyful about facing something that might be difficult. And it's exactly the crux of what I was talking about earlier of of having children build that resilience muscle that they would they would be as open to a feeling of disappointment as they would be to a feeling of joy because it's just a feeling and that you would it would be easy and joyful to courageously feel your feelings. That's was my take. Oh, I love that. Thank you Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you. It was a pleasure. And listeners, you should know that Sarah is in Maine. And I'm in Washington State, and I think it's really cool that we get to have a conversation like this and be so geographically far away. So, and how many kids do you have? I have one son. He's seven and a half. Okay, I meant to ask that way earlier in the conversation. Okay, awesome. Well, you have a beautiful day, my friend. Thank you very much. You too, Casey. There you have it, folks. Sarah McLaughlin. I can't believe she's all the way in Maine. I completely would love to meet up and have some coffee with her. Um, I would love to meet up and have coffee with all of you, actually. Uh, Maybe we can make that happen. I am going to be in Albuquerque later this week doing a Teaching Parenting the Positive Discipline Way training for parent educators. I am going to be in Boise, Idaho next week doing that same training, teaching parenting the positive discipline way. So I am part of the Positive Discipline Association and we are training people all around the world to continue to teach and support and facilitate parents on their journey. So if you're in either of those places, hey, let me know. Maybe we can hook up and have some coffee or local people, be sure to get in touch. There are events happening all the time that I'm a part of and I'd love to see you and talk to you and um, visit. I am also online a lot. So I'm hoping that everybody's in the Live and Love with Joyful Courage Facebook group. It's a great place to um, support each other, celebrate our challenges and our triumphs. You can email me at Casey at JoyfulCourage.com. And if you don't already know that, know this, my website, JoyfulCourage.com, has on it all sorts of offers for parents. So of course there's the podcast, there's the blog, which I need to write more, and I also have some online offers. I have a free Chaos to Calm video training. I've got Joy, a Journey to Joy, which is a three-part series around finding our own calm, our own center, and creating a practice around that. I have a family meetings e-course I also have the Centered Parenting eCourse, which is a five-week 
e-course that is on demand and you get videos, video trainings, you get audio meditations as well as um, worksheets. It's all inclusive. It's a really powerful learning experience. I would love for you to check it out or let me know if you have any questions. I'm also excited. I have a few more spots for some one-on-one coaching this spring. So if that is something that interests you and you want to learn more about it, go to my website, www.joyfulcourage.com coaching. You'll get a little bit more information and you can apply for an exploratory call where we'll get on the telephone and I'll answer your questions about coaching as well as listen to some of your challenges and offer some feedback. So if you're interested, check those things out. And again, I am humbled, honored, amazed that you tune in and listen and appreciate and enjoy the podcast offer. I love it. I love providing it for you. And I'm always, always, always thankful to see the numbers of people who are listening, downloading, and giving feedback about the show. So I'm glad that it's helpful to you. And until next time, have a beautiful week, my friends. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.